You are live and it's showtime, according to the little button I just clicked. <laughs> Welcome to the Home Lab Show. We're going to be diving into Proxmox. This is episode 13 with Tom Lawrence and Jay LaCroix. And uh, we're excited. We're, you know, we got through hypervisors as a broad topic to talk about the popular ones. And now we want to dive into Proxmox. But of course, this also leaves the door open for us to dive into other ones in future episodes because, you know, hey, why not? And diving into singular topics like this, hopefully it will, you know, give you that information you need because these are still foundational things because you have a pile of hardware with no operating system and you want to put many operating systems on there. And this is where hypervisors come in. It's exciting. Watch our uh, previous show or listen to our previous show on hypervisors if you, you know, kind of want to dive into the topic as a whole talking about all the different ones but today we're going to focus on proxmox yep and jay's kind of the expert on that so I'll, I'll be playing the noob who asks questions because i still haven't i mean i have used it briefly and a little bit but i haven't really dove deep into it but before we dive into all that uh, we do want to thank the sponsor that is literally bringing you this show especially if you're listening to it in a, in a podcast which is linode how long have you been using linode for jay i've lost count i want to say two plus years maybe pushing three at this point um they were they, they were the first sponsor of learn linux tv ever i i had a, a lot of requests believe me but it's like i don't really want this sponsor that sponsor the node made sense because they're a linux company i'm a linux youtube channel so they became the official back-end provider for pretty much everything that has a web presence when it comes to learn linux tv so the website the forums things like that so if you are you know, on our site for this podcast, you're using Linode. If you're on my um, my website for the YouTube channel, LearnLinux.tv, that's hosted on Linode, the community, as I just mentioned. And um, I started using them when I met them at PenguinCon. So what was that, three years ago? Probably around then, yeah. So that's about how long I've been using them then. And I like their features a lot. It's just, there's just way too many to go over in one spot. But um, one of my favorite things is you could literally use DD to, um, back up your Linode instance to your local computer, just like you would use DD on anything else. You could just boot your Linode in rescue mode, use DD, pull it down, and you have the hard drive local on your machine. And you could also DD something up there. I often, not often, but at least once, I've ran a distribution that they don't support. They have a bunch of dist distros like Arch, Debian, Ubuntu, Fedora, CentOS, you name it. But um, they have Alma Linux now too, which is brand new. But I was running Alma Linux on there um, before they even offered it because you could just upload your own image, which is pretty cool. So lots of great features. And if you use the URL, that'll be in the show notes or description and or description. That gives you $100 in credit. That's good for um, three months. So the credit will last three months and it's for a new account. So if you want to just play around with some stuff, you set up a NextCloud server, for example, anything that you want to just play around with, and you know it's a great fit for that yeah we, and we hopefully will inspire lots of ideas that you can host there all right things you can host yourself is going to be proxmox and uh it's based on debian we'll start with that because that's yep. there's a the one of the important factors is what base operating system it starts with because that offers a lot of compatibility um mm -hmm. for the hardware you want to run it on so whether you have a custom self-built server or you go you know something off the shelf like a, a dell server or something super micro that you can find on ebay used or we're lucky enough to 
be there when a company was going, you know, we just want to make all this old hardware go away, but it still has some life in it. Uh, Debian is great for compatibility, getting all the network cards up and running and attached. So um, it's not a bad ba base operating system. And it's funny because a lot of people ask me why I don't run Proxmox, being that I'm a big fan of Debian. It's just because I like XCPNG, but um, yeah. I'll let Jay take it from there because that's that's as much as yeah. I know. It's based on Debian. After that, it's a hypervisor, and Jay knows the rest. <laughs> yeah, there, there's going to be a few things I haven't really uh, dived into as much, which I'll talk about some of the um, areas I haven't really explored yet. But um, let's talk about the Debian thing real quick because I think that's important. In my case, I run Nagios. I know, right? Nagios of all things. Come on, that's boring. But but it, it works, right? So I use Nagios for monitoring all the things, just letting me know when something's down. And with Proxmox, it's not hard to get Nagios working. The NRPE plugin is just apt install, whatever the package name is. I think it's like Nagios something NRPE. I don't remember. I automate everything. Then I forget everything afterwards, which is kind of sad. But anyway, it, it, there's no magic or science. It's Debian. So the same way you would install that plugin with Debian, you do that you know, on Proxmox. And then all of a sudden, my Nagios server is able to reach it and check it, check the memory, because all my plugins are installed. So that gives you some benefit there too. Obviously, you don't want to go crazy with that and start removing plugins. Oh, I don't think I need this package or that package. Then you break everything. You still got to be careful and consider Proxmox an appliance because that's what it is. But you still have that flexibility if you need to run like a Zabbix plugin or Nagios or whatever you're using. You could do that. I'm assuming I haven't tried it, but I don't see why not. You know, things like Graylog and um, Grafana would work yeah. there well so you have all those all the debian things i mean you can you could just run whatever so um that's awesome now i'll talk a little bit about my decision to go with proxmox because before i actually did tom and i were talking for probably months um, back and forth about which one i'm going to go with because he already had xcpng set up and ready to go and I had a lot of experience with XCPNG because I used uh, Citrix at a previous jobs on server, you know, which that's built on. So you would have, I think anyone probably would have assumed I would go the same direction because I have all this experience with this. I'm already familiar with it. Why not go that direction? What I found was that XCP and, and NG and um, Proxmox were just neck and neck, uh, very close to each other. The one thing that kind of pushed me over to choose Proxmox was the fact that they have containers built in. That doesn't mean you can't do containers in XCPNG. I, I know you can. There's at least one plugin, um, if not other methods as well. I know that, um, correct me if I'm wrong, that XCPNG is, supports an API, so you could have something spin up uh, Kubernetes um, instances if you wanted to. Yeah, we'll just say it's not as it's not as well developed because it's not as popular of a use case. You're completely capable of doing it, but mm -hmm. like the container system is not as integrated as it seems to be in Proxmox. So if, right. if you're leaning towards containers, you're probably going to lean towards Proxmox. I, I think you're making the right decision there. Yeah. So as an aside, I mean, you, you could actually just set up a Kubernetes server or maybe just some um, Debian instances, for example, to run Docker containers without Kubernetes. But yeah, like Tom said, it's, it's built into um, Proxmox. And I really like to be able to have the conversation with myself. I want to set up this server, this service, this app, whatever it is. And do I want it to be a VM or do I want it to be a container? It's always important to understand that, you know, this mindset of containerize all the things. I, I don't feel that's valid because some things aren't really a good fit there. It's often a good fit, but you can make that decision per app with what should be a VM and what should be a container. 
And there is one um, situation, I think, where you should containerize all the things, which I'll get to later. But I really like having that, um, you know, that option to, to intelligently design the layout the way I want it to be. Am I going to have mostly containers, mostly VMs, a even mix of both? Um, you know, it's fully up to me. Yeah, the... Um... I don't use many containers and we actually, we, the scale we do with XCPNG, um, you know, we did some consulting with a client just a couple weeks ago. They had 2,100 VMs in XCPNG. So most of the stuff we've been dealing with has just been large scale instances or larger. I mean, that's not the hugest scale I've seen, but some large scale instances with lots of individual VMs and even myself. And we had this discussion on the hypervisor episode where, yes, we definitely, I, I, I lean towards Mart running a lot of things all in your independent. The VMs. So, yep, and and there's there's good good reasons to do that. But I think the first thing we should probably talk about is what do you run it on, Be because that's that's a very important thing. Also leads right into um, another um, aspect of containers that I like. So, what should you run it on? Well, anything, honestly. Um, if it has virtualization extensions in the BIOS that you can enable, you can run it um, within reason. Obviously, if you're running something like super ancient, um, yeah, no. But it doesn't have to be like a really good machine. It could be an old desktop. Maybe you had one and you replaced it or an older laptop. And if you think about it, as I've said a few times before, what does a laptop have? It has a battery. So it has UPS built in. It has a keyboard and a display. So it has a built-in KVM. So essentially a laptop, if you have an extra one, um, that's essentially a data center right there. And I've gone on Facebook Marketplace, which, you know, by the way, I don't like Facebook, but if I see a good deal on a laptop, I might consider it. And I did a few videos on this where I, I bought some really good laptops for like 200 or 250, I can't remember, that had maybe four or eight gigs of RAM. Um, it was a while ago, but it's perfect for Proxmox because, again, you have that self-contained server. You could go on um, eBay, buy an off-lease PowerEdge. That, that's not a bad idea. Uh, whatever you want to run it on, you can. But one thing you can run it on, and people have done this, I think it's smart, is an Intel NUC, believe it or not. And automatically, when I think of a NUC, I think of something that's somewhat memory-starved when it comes to a server. You're probably not going to fit 128 gigs of RAM in a NUC. But you don't have to. You don't even need 128 gigs anyway in a home lab unless you're going completely crazy hosting all the things. But when it comes to a NUC, it's, that's when containers can really help out. Because yeah. if you have a NUC with four gigs or eight gigs, that's the value of containers. You stretch your hardware further and you don't have to, I mean, we'll get into memory ballooning in a moment, but <laughs> for the most part, um, you don't really have to dedicate memory for the task. You have a memory ceiling. So you don't want this particular container to consume more than let's just, just say 512 megabytes of the host memory. Then great, that's awesome. Because now with that Intel NUC, or that old laptop with like two gigs of RAM, actually probably should be four. I don't know if I'd be comfortable with two anymore. But either way, you could really stretch it a lot further. You know, and I, I think it's it, that back down architecture design and whether or not that's a fit for you. Um, right. I, I, I'll admit, because as someone is probably already cringing to saying that around a lot of VMs, but Tom, you're wasting memory, but memory's cheap. I mean, old heart, the, the right. VMs for the VMs we run, it doesn't take too much uh, RAM for each one of them. And <laughs> it is true, but I think that there's this um, fan base that technologies often have where people are excited about it. And I know how that feels. I get excited about it too, just like everybody else does. And, and they're like, yeah, I want to learn. I, I want to learn it. And then someone learns it. And then 
like it feels like a superpower because this thing that was like kind of really hard to learn, you now know it after all the you know attempts to learn it, you now know it. And now you got to use it everywhere because it just makes sense. And I get that. But what I've seen with containers, though, some apps just don't play well. And for no reason other than something the developer did didn't make it as portable as it needed to be. I've run into this. Not extremely common. Another thing, too, is if you are running Proxmox in a business or for business purposes, there are some companies out there that have a stigma. Oh, you're running it in a container? We don't support that. Um, for no other reason than they're scared of it. Let's be yeah. honest. They just um, haven't taken the time to learn it, so they just throw the, right. they slap the unsupported sticker on it. We don't know how that works, so we'll just call that unsupported. Right. So we're not going to deal with that. Um, that that's often the case. Um, my uh, previous job would uh, do a lot of Atlassian support, so you know Confluence and Jira and the like. And for the longest time, Atlassian didn't support containers. If they found out you're running it in a container, then they wouldn't support you. Then all of a sudden, seemingly out of nowhere, they're like, "Yeah, we have an official container now for all our apps." Oh. Well, now they support it. Great. So you do have to at least know that that's a thing that you have to keep in mind um, every now and then. So what do you run it on? Well, whatever you have. Uh, I, I would love to say, let's go buy an expensive server. It'd be great. But we don't have money for that unless um, unless you do, then go for it. But if you have something lying around, it's the cheapest way to go. And a few people asked about pasture I've seen coming up in the comments. Um, I have a mixed feelings all the time on pass-through. So in the enterprise market, um, you usually want redundancy and high availability. Pass-through really breaks that because I can't pass through this device for this VM and then expect it to start up on another machine because I have to have the same card and pass it through in a similar way. So pass-through is great for really optimizing some of the hardware, but it's not right. something I use a lot. But far as I know, it's well supported in Proxmox. Am I correct on that? So if you wanted to pass I through mean, certain devices, it's you I don't, don't really do that much either. I, I don't do pass-through at all. Um, it's possible that it's fine now. And I'll, you know, I'm, I'm a little biased against it, to be honest. The reason being, it's a lot of work. When I think of, okay, work's over, it's time to play games. And that's the main reason why most people do that. There's other reasons other than gaming to do that. They have Windows games. They want to run a Windows VM, pass the GPU through the Windows VM so they can play their games. I'm just not a fan of that. I, I just have never been a fan of that. It, it seems like it's convoluted. And if anything goes wrong or it's not set up, I'm spending more time tweaking it to get it working. I know once you do get it working, it's fine. It should work as long as you make no changes that from that point forward. But I just don't... I don't like to add complexity with leisure time. So that that said, my solution, you could probably justly argue, is also complex. But I like to do the Steam streaming. And they make these HDMI, I think I've mentioned this before, they're like a flash drive, but they go on the HDMI port. And they tell the computer that there's a monitor attached, which allows you to have a Windows gaming PC that's headless on the network with a really fast network connection, especially if you can get 10 gig. You can stream your Windows game straight to your um, Linux PC, Linux laptop. You don't need to pass through anything. And you have a dedicated actual Windows PC. It's not It's not a VM. You're not lying to it other than telling it that it has a monitor when it really doesn't because you need a monitor. Um, that works for me. It works very, very well for me. Um, again, you should do that over Wi-Fi, though. Keep in mind. But that's my go-to. So unfortunately, I haven't actually looked into PCI pass-through. I think it's better now. I think it's way easier now than it was before. It's had a lot more time to bake, so to speak. So I think it's probably fine. But my solution works, so I guess I just I just go that way. Yeah, and 
Uh, and not to get too far off topic, but there is, if you want to do a little further reading, you can look up SR-IOV and single root IO virtualization is a popular methodology that is used in the commercial market. So before someone calls me out and says, Tom, it is used in commercial because, you know, some devices support SRIV and you can buy multiple servers with it on there. Yes. And that will drive us off topic. So we understand there's yeah. edge cases and things or, like that. Generally, yeah. when people ask about pass through, they just want to set up a hypervisor. They want to pass through their video card, which like Jay said, for gaming can be a very valid reason. Um, mm -hmm. In the commercial space, there is the ability for uh, devices to use a special protocol that is then supported again through the hypervisors to pass through devices so they can be passed through in a similar way across physical servers. Um, but like I said, it'll, it'll steer us too far off topic. We're going to keep it narrowed to the, right. um, <laughs> the Proxmox here. <laughs> yeah. And I have a habit of going off topic anyway. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So we know what to run it on. And I think already people are getting an impression. Okay. Like, like I know what I could run it on. Why would I want to run it? Well, one of the things I like about it, like I mentioned, is the container thing. Um, it uses Lexi containers, which people get upset with me. LXC, Lexi. I don't, I don't make their decisions. Like I, I, a long time ago was interviewing with Canonical like six or seven years ago. And I'm, I'm saying LXD and LXC. Um, LXD is a um, container management um, system, which I have a video now on my channel for. And then um, LXE being for containers, it's LexD and Lexi. Uh, again, talk to the developers. People will, even, even when I say GNOME, people get upset. Yeah. But anyway, um, with Proxmox, <laughs> that's the type of container that it runs. So it's not a, you know, what most people think about when they think about containers, they think of Docker containers, but that's not what it's running. It's running Lexi containers or Linux containers is probably a better way to put it. And there's some challenges with that, which I'll get to um, in a moment, but um, I love that flexibility. I also love the fact that the interface is built in. So with Proxmox, or excuse me, XEPNG, you have to run, um, I'm blanking on the name, <laughs> help me out. Zen Orchestra. Zen because Zen Orchestra is a separate VM. Um, yep. And we won't get too off topic, but uh, when we, we'll dive into why that is and why that's a good thing in, in Zen. But of course right. it bothers people. And this is, if this is your dividing point, which for some people it is, Proxmox integrates the, the, the web UI right into the system completely. Right. But one one good thing I'll say about XCPNG's way of doing that is you don't have to waste CPU cycles running a UI layer that you may or may not be using at any one moment. You could run it on your local laptop and manage your uh, Zen server or your um, XCPNG server right. with that. So that that now that I I did feel that way like that divide, but after I thought about it like that, I'm like you know what that that actually does kind of make sense. I I do like that. So the UI in Proxmox is it's pretty easy to use. Um, I wouldn't say it's the easiest but it's not difficult at all. You have a um, data center view, and then you have your individual hypervisors, and you um, obviously can have uh, more than one. So you can have a cluster. It's usually recommended to have like, uh, you know, three, um, if you're gonna have a cluster. Having two can represent some problems with any um, virtualization solution where they get into what's called fencing. Um, three, you kind of have an uneven vote. Um, basically, there's other reasons why, and I think it's gotten better but it's better to have if you have a cluster you can have three servers but you can just have a single server right now i'm down to a single server i am going to i had a cluster before i decided to simplify it i think i'm going to complicate it again and get a cluster going i'll probably make a video about it but you could decide later on to do a cluster you don't have to like do that right now um you basically just uh, set up a proxmox server later on down the road if you want to do live migration move a, a vm from one server to another you can do that and that might be a benefit, or if you want failover, you want to basically upgrade or you know install the updates on one, 
you know, after moving the VMs off of it, and then you could basically keep your VMs running. But then I could also argue um, most people in the home lab, they probably don't care so much about uptime as much as others might. So shutting down or rebooting the entire Proxmox server to install updates, that might not be a problem for some people. And it's especially not a problem if none of those VMs are publicly exposed anyway. You should still update them, but the uh, threat surface is a lot lower. So there's that. So there's a lot of great options with how, how to set that up, but you have the data center view at the top layer or top level, you have your individual VMs under, or hypervisors underneath that. You could have settings that apply to basically the data center, which mean all the servers underneath it or you know settings for each one. It has a built-in backup system. So you could choose the schedule that you want your disks to be backed up. They have a dedicated backup service that you can install on another server, which I'm not using. But I, I do plan on diving into that. I'm currently using TrueNAS for my backup, so that's where they go. You choose the schedule, whether you want to try to back up a VM while it's running. Probably not a great idea. You could have it um, pause, shut down. So you, you have options for how to handle the uh, backups. That's... Um... I've seen early in the comments, people were asking about it. The The backup system is like Jay said, something he's not dove into. I know it's a newer thing that has been added on to Proxmox right. uh, because I did do a comparison between Proxmox versus XEPNG. And at the time I did the video, they had not released their backup system. Um, so that is, you know, you have to, you still have to have a solid backup strategy. Also uh, the live migration, Jay, does that work if the two Proxmox servers, can it work if the Proxmox servers aren't attached in like i think you referred to as data center mode i've never tried that so th they call it a cluster so you create your cluster you name it and then you have a way to join which basically comes down to um it gives you some um key that you copy and then paste into the other you type the password for root from the previous server then they talk i've not tried to do any kind of migration without okay. So I don't think you can, but I don't want to say no, because anytime I say you can't do something in tech, someone's like, you know what? I know how to do it. I know how to make it. I'm, I'm going to force it work, and I'll show you. Uh, <laughs> but I think it's probably just, I'm going to say no um, in general. Okay. Do that. So now migration is an interesting thing because there's several ways that you can do this. Now, you could argue the best way is probably to have shared storage which means you could have something like TrueNAS, Synology, um, QNAP, whatever you use, and have like an NFS or um, maybe a nice SCSI mount that's exposed that you could basically have all of your VMs, their disks, to be on that storage rather than on the actual hypervisor itself. And the way live migration works, it's very quick. You don't lose a ping, at least I never have. It's just, it seems like witchcraft, like the very first time, like very early in my career, like we're probably talking like, like, I don't know, 12, 13 years ago or more, like somebody said, you can live migrate now. I'm like, what? That, that That's not possible. You can't do that. Yeah, you can do that. Um, that was when VMware first came out with it, I think. Anyway, you could do that in Proxmox and you could just ping the server and it moves it to the other um, host and you don't skip a ping, which is great because the storage is in the same place. The storage didn't move. The, where the VM is running on, that moved. But now you can actually live migrate um, without shared storage, which takes a lot longer because you are moving the disk from one server to another. It does work. I think in my test, it took me five minutes, so it wasn't that bad, but I didn't have a ton of data on, there, on that server either. So it does work, and I did play around with it. It works pretty well. 
So you do have those options. Now, shared storage is going to be more expensive, obviously. It does represent a single point of failure for all the um, servers that you're running. So if that um, link is severed to that um, shared storage, then it's like the disk, the SATA cable on the server, or the um, whatever cable being pulled right out of the disk. That's not a good thing to have happen. So it needs to be stable. Hmm. Yeah, that's uh, setting up the shared storage is always tricky because you have to really make sure it's reliable. And that's sometimes, you know, people think about a lot of redundancy between the servers, but once you have, you still end up with somewhat of a single point of failure. So right. what I'm doing now is I'm down to a single server currently. I am going to be adding another. I, I, I just like the cluster thing. It'd be a good topic for a video as an excuse to buy something, let's be honest. But um, <laughs> anyway, but anyway, no, in all actuality, I'm thinking about doing a Proxmox series again. I've done one before. It was a little while ago. So I, I do want to refresh that. And when I built the, the recent server that I, I think I've had it over a year now, I went with an M2 SSD and I felt like maybe shared storage doesn't make sense for me because I don't really care that it's not, you know, it, it's it's slower to migrate than when if I had shared storage and it's SSD and it's not even a huge SSD either. I think it might be 500 gig at most, but um, if I set up another server the same way, it's going to be a lot faster to live migrate um, server to server with a faster SSD. Spinning Rust, of course, is going to add a lot of time to that so if you're setting up proxmox um i think it's a question of like how important is it to you is it just something that you're going to run plex on or a number of other vms you don't really care if it's down um, every now and then to reboot or to, to patch it or whatever then you probably don't need a cluster honestly you probably don't need share storage either you should still back up the disks but um then again if you're practicing it and you're learning and you're, you're getting into enterprise IT or you already are in enterprise IT and you're trying to broaden your horizons a bit, then yeah, you probably do want to do shared storage because you want to get used to those that terminology and the um, you know SFP, SFP plus if you're going to 10 gig. Um, and, and Tom has a bunch of videos on, on that if that's something that you want. One, one thing I would caution though that I've experienced is if you are using, I'm sure someone has already asked in, in the chat, but if you have one gig to your um, storage device, like a TrueNAS or Synology or whatever, one, a one gig link, it's going to crawl. Like one VM, I mean, if I had like, I think five or six VMs on there. I had tested it, maybe even 10. And they all ran fast. Like they were fine, totally fine. But as soon as Ansible hit those um, servers and if Ansible hit more than one at a time and he had more than one um, generating a lot of IO, patching, installing applications or whatever to the central storage, the VMs became almost unusable. So I don't recommend a shared storage solution with a single one gig connection. You can do it if you're okay with massive slowdown, but I just don't recommend that. It's very cheap to go 10 gig with the right hardware. Tom has videos and links for all of that. So if you're going to do store or shared storage, definitely check out his videos for those uh, for that information. Highly recommend that. Uh, but just make a decision. Do I need clustering? Is it going to benefit me at all? Is it just going to end up being a headache? Um, that's a discussion you have to have with yourself, basically. Yeah. And and 10 gig has become an easier discussion to have with yourself because there's no doubt that 10 gig is, uh, especially with used markets, uh, absolutely affordable now to throw a few 10 gig cards in there. I've yeah. always recommended a lot of the Intel uh, dual SFP cards because you can find them on eBay for like 60 bucks. And yep. they're uh, really, you know, 
it's such an easy, uh, low cost thing to throw in there and have some connectivity between there. Matter of fact, I'm actually looking into, cause I know even some of the faster stuff is starting to get cheaper and I may uh, buy a few pieces and components and find some deals on, uh, things for people to see, you know, how to build out your network as fast as possible between the servers so you can migrate them faster. Yep. Now, one thing I'm not going to be able to talk about as well is ZFS in Proxmox. Unfortunately, I do I do know that this is going to disappoint a lot of people because that's one of the, the main things that people love about it. I'm going to be doing, um, when I do the Proxmox series, I'm going to definitely um, show that off so people can still get that information. The reason why, I mean, I'm not using ZFS currently I had some issues, but I'm not going to really talk about what those issues are with Proxmox because that was like more than two years ago. And I don't really feel like it's a good thing to hold a grudge. And I think they've probably figured it out by now. I think it's more than likely fine. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. ZFS gives you some amazing features, as we've talked about before. Um, scrubbing and things like that is a great benefit to have. The server that I'm running right now, it only has like a um, a single drive, so I lose some of the benefits of ZFS, I, as I understand it. But I might throw another SSD in there and convert it over, over to ZFS. Is, is something I'm really thinking about doing because I want to dive back into that, especially considering I'm going to be doing a series about it when I get the time to film it. So I need to definitely re-expose re myself to all the extra features. But one thing I noticed is that when Proxmox switched to ZFS, I mean, you can still not use it, right? But they took away some of the um, RAID options. They used to have a, I believe it was like a RAID 1. that was just MD RAID in Linux. And then a ZFS option when they first introduced it. Now it's like single driver ZFS. Um, the last time I installed it, which was probably a little less than a year ago, those are the only options. So um, good options to have just with ZFS. You're going to have a little bit more overhead. Um, you need at least two disks for that. Um, but but I, I do... I do feel that's a benefit of Proxmox for sure. You could leverage uh, ZFS. I think a lot of people would love to be able to do that. Yeah. And I think it's cool that they built it in like that. Uh, it's especially because they did an integration, as I understand it. So the snapshots work on ZFS too. So the snapshots are part of the VM snapshots. Is that correct, Jay? Um, I've heard that. I haven't personally tested it yet, but um, that, that's very well likely the case. So when I... Uh, basically at some point I'm going to be mentioning in the show, by the way, guys, I have a Proxmox series. I just refreshed. Now it could take me a few <laughs> months to even get it done, to be honest. So don't expect this like next Friday or anything, but um, at some point, yeah, when I have that, when I mention that it's going to, it's going to cover that stuff. So yeah. Yeah. If you don't know it now, you'll know it then. Cause you have a Proxmox series now, but it's, it's going to be a little dated cause it's from what, about a year ago. It, more than that. Actually, okay. I believe it was filmed in your studio. Oh, okay. Um, so it's, that's been two years. Yeah. I was, <laughs> In, yeah, people would sometimes joke like, um, to Tom, or not joke, but say, Tom, he's stealing your, your studio idea, idea. He'd like set it up the exact same way. D dude, it's the same studio. It's the same we, studio. Yeah. We were like, he gets used, you know, me and Jay have known yeah. each other for a while. And I let Jay, when yeah. he used to live relatively close, he used my studio yeah. until he had his own. So simple as that. <laughs> I was in between studios. Tom really helped me out. Um, and in that studio, I filmed that series. Um, that was when I first started getting, putting a very serious effort into the YouTube channel. It was just a passive hobby but it was that at that point where i'm like yeah i should probably do more with this so that was the tom helped me launch what what learn linux tv became as of today so anyway um zfs zfs is good so if you can use it if you get a benefit out of that definitely um you know consider that as part of your system maybe do some tests installing proxmox one way you know trash it install it another until you find the 
magic incantation that works the best for you. Yep. Um, that's a, that's the great thing about home lab. We we could destroy it. We could rebuild it. And at work, we don't get that benefit, right? I can't. If, if we have a day job in enterprise IT, we can't just wipe all the servers and decide to redo all the things. But in home lab, we can we could redesign everything five times in a day if we have enough energy. And the only thing that's the only one that's going to complain is maybe family members of the Plex servers down. <laughs> yeah, my my staff gets upset when I decide to you know change our entire stack of hypervisors that run the business from day to day. Well, yeah. they get upset or they get to go home because there's nothing to do if I break it all down. So <laughs> that, that that's a yeah. So it's just a ama an amazing benefit to to be able to play around with these things. And then if your um, employer ever says, "Hey, do you know about X?" and it's one of those things you've been running on your home lab, it's a great feeling. Um, so if they say, hey, "Let's um, switch to Proxmox," which has happened to me, um, a previous job. I was using Proxmox and they're like, yeah, we couldn't consider using it. They were actually trying to use OpenStack from one server in production. Oh my God, do not do that ever. <laughs> do not run OpenStack on one server for everything. And this was a huge server, it was really beefy. Like, well, you know, I've been testing out Proxmox. I think you'll like it. And that company, even though I don't work there anymore, they're still using it now. So it works out well for them. And I feel justified because something I like ended up being a good choice for a company. Yep. Now the, uh, what's the next thing? What about building the VMs? I think this is where the confusion comes in. There, it is because there is um, basically when it comes to a lot of these virtualization technologies, there, um, you know, when it comes to especially KVM and QEMU there, which is what it uses, there is no, unless they've done this recently, there, there's no template feature. Like one of the things I loved about XCPNG was that it had a template feature. I, the VM templates were great. I loved it. I had a blueprint for whatever distro we were wanting to use. It was awesome. And then I picked up a book about, um, as a, it was all about QEMU uh, KVM before I even got into Proxmox. And it says there's no template feature, but you could just create a VM, name it template, and then just clone it every time and effectively just do it anyway, even though it's not a native feature, which... I guess you can argue it doesn't need to be. So in Proxmox, you can create a VM and it could, you could call it template Ubuntu, whatever you want to call it, or Debian, whatever you're running. And you could normal, you know, just sanitize the VM a little bit. You could um, use cloud in it. I have a video about that uh, coming up on my channel whenever I can freaking get that edited. But anyway, um, cloud, cloud in it is built in, which can help you do things like generalize the host keys, which um, if you don't do that, then you're basically like your SSH client's going to get configed or excuse me, confused. Every time it hits a server, it thinks it's the same server, same host key. And you'll get that message saying um, something like, this doesn't look right. Um, this server is different than the last time I connected to it, even though it's a different server. But CloudInit can do that. There's other ways of um, doing the same thing without CloudInit. But you create that template. And what you do basically is you right-click the VM, convert to template. It's that easy. It becomes a template. And then anytime you want to spin up a VM, you right click on that template clone, and then you have a VM and it's great. I, I always have a template handy, ready to go. And I make sure that template is backed up because let's be honest, it's, you know, I want to do all that work creating that template again. Um, you could also use like Terraform and Packer and all these other automation tools and DevOps against Proxmox because it has an API. So that's one of my favorite things. Um, is there even a virtualization solution nowadays that doesn't have API access at this point? I think they kind of all do, don't they? Um, 
Yeah, I imagine they do. I, for the most part, uh, at least the popular ones, the the more well developed ones. But Proxmox and XCPNG are both well known for their APIs, uh, offering you a lot of flexibility for controlling things. I know because I use it that the one is extremely extensive in the Zen world because um, it's all based on you know the core Zen server project. I, it's pretty much is Proxmox. I know it has an API, but is it is extensive? Like you can pretty much do everything and create with it, or I've done everything that I wanted or needed to do. So okay. I did hit I did hit Terraform or point Terraform to it with the ter- with the provider that they have for that. Um, it was about a year ago, but it's like yeah, I could create a VM and set all the all the things, and that that's great because I can script everything. I'm going to get back into that again because it's like I got kind of lazy. I have the template, I just right click and clone <laughs> it. There's a VM, so um, there's that. But I I could automate all the things. And I I never felt like I was limited in any kind of way for anything that I was doing personally. So I think it's probably fine. And I know maybe some other systems go higher than others. Um, But at least you have these tools that you can use to, um, you know, get your your stuff going. There are some, there's going to be some differences when it comes to VMs and um, containers that we should probably talk about, though, that go beyond you know, why you should use one or the other. So when you have a container, you have limits. So you can set CPU limits in memory, which is important because you don't want a um, stuck thread or some kind of runaway processor, whatever you want to call it, just going crazy and then taking up the host completely and all your other instances can't really do anything. So you can set some logical limits there. And with VMs, traditionally, you're saying... This VM has two gigs. So two gigs of the virtual, virtual, excuse me, two gigs of the host are being used for this VM all the time. But with a container, you're setting a ceiling instead of saying, I'm always going to assign this memory to you. There's a limit. Now, nowadays, there's memory ballooning. So you're not actually always dedicating memory to the uh, virtual machine. Uh, memory ballooning allows you, and I'm not as knowledgeable on this to be honest. But my understanding is that if it's not using all of that memory, it could share that across other VMs that might need that memory to kind of just do their thing. Is that your understanding? Because I think XCPNG has ballooning as well, doesn't it? Yeah, you you have that ability to basically over-provision memory. So we only have 32 gigs, but we can allocate 48 because each VM may not be using all of it. And provided that the hypervisor is aware of the actual memory usage, not the, uh, I guess you could say, fake allocated memory over-provisioned to it, um, you're able to do that. So that way, if there's a peak usage, like you have a SQL system that doesn't always use a lot of memory, but when there's heavy workload on it, and as long as that workload is not heavy across the other ones, this is kind of a neat way hypervisors allow you to optimize the hardware better. We allocate it there, but it's not needed. But when it is, it's available. As long as all the other ones aren't using it, we don't end up with a a bad (laughs) event happening where um, everything wants all the RAM at once. Uh, So it takes some careful planning because it's one of those things that you can run in some trouble with if you are uh, over-provisioned and the worst case scenario happens um, that can sometimes cause the machines to lock up, go uh, and everything goes south on you really quick. Yeah. And that that's um, it's important to understand what the limitations are of one solution versus another. So when it comes to live migration, um, you know, VMs are, are, are great because you could just ping them, they move over and no one even knows that happened. With a container that on Proxmox, they stop and start up on the other containers. So they will lose pings. So that is a, a thing when it comes to containers in that system. 
If you have a system where it can't lose pings ever, even when I migrate it, and you do not want to use containers for that solution, you you want to run that as a VM. So that's going to be a situation where you want to run that as a VM. So um, I'm not completely sure, but I thought that um, basically what it's doing is it's copying the entire disk from one server to another. And that, that's what it's doing every single time I, I go to live migrate it. I don't know if that's a limitation as shared storage. I think it might be. But either way, you're going to lose pings regardless when you migrate a container versus a VM. You actually can uh, make that stay up the whole time. Yeah. And you got to remember, too, whatever you're running has to support. And just because we said some companies slap, we don't support containers on there. There's also people who run because they have a need for it, Windows machines and things like that. You're not going to throw Windows under a Linux container. It doesn't work like that. Or many of your appliance-based distributions that you may be setting up or importing in pf sense is a great example that your firewall distributions they don't run as containers um right. maybe there's some some service out there that may but for the most part pf sense and open sense and uh untangle and the popular ones we've talked about on this uh, in previous episodes they don't run as a container therefore they need to be their own uh, vm right. so th there's a lot of times when you will be doing it like that that's right. And there's going to be some use cases that work better for for other or for one than another, like Tom mentioned. I would say I can't think of a reason why a website, so if you're hosting a website, that, that that would ever need to be a virtual machine. There probably is an edge case, but if you are, you know, exposing something via Nginx, Apache, or whatever, if that's all it is, I mean, honestly, it's probably better as a container because I can't think of any reason for it not to be. If, if some of these other apps that have these installers or they just, you know, overcomplicate things or it's a Windows machine, like Tom mentioned, yeah, that's not going to happen. Um, I, I'm assuming maybe Microsoft will get around to it. Um, I mean, I didn't even think they would make Windows 11, but here we are. So, um, <laughs> you know, they, they said Windows 10 is going to be the last one and now we have Windows 11. I'm not even going to get into that. But basically, we don't even know what Microsoft is going to do. They could have a containerized uh, Windows um thing next month or they might have it in 10 years and nobody's um, using it anymore they just need to move to the linux kernel and bring it bring all those things with them and you know have one happy linux universe <laughs> i i could totally see that happening but that's a that's a debate that we can yeah. get into in another dedicated episode. that's an, that's an off topic so <laughs> that's the most off topic of all today so the the thing is proxmox just gives you these tools and you can implement them however you'd like you can containerize everything if all your apps work out that way Vir you know virtualize everything because you have the memory why not um it, or, or you just need the migration to work better and there's other things that work pretty well too um you know disclaimer tux care is a sponsor of my youtube channel but it works it, it's debian so if you want to do live patching you can do that and if you, you're, since the containers are going to use the, the host kernel, basically, um, you could just run Tuxcare or something similar to it, where it's going to live patch your running um, kernel without having to reboot. You still have to restart services, though. But that's a value, because if you really, really, really don't want to reboot anything, then you could consider doing something like that. But for HomeLab, honestly, um, I'm curious how many people actually care to, um, you know, when it comes to uptime. It's like I'll see engineers bragging that their laptop has been up for um, four years or not really, but um, you know, they'll brag about uptime, but nowadays I kind of wonder if that really matters as much as it used to yeah, Yes, we could get the uptime, but is it the most practical way to do things? Maybe not. Um, that's another, that's also another debate for another day. Yeah. Um, something that's probably worth mentioning because a lot of people have been bouncing around a few different things. It, 
there is ZFS, which we did talk about, but GlusterFS, um, NFS, and CephFS, uh, I think I'd say it. Ceph files, Ceph, isn't it? Yeah, Ceph. Yeah. I, I see they have it labeled as CephSS. I'm looking oh, at all their lists so on Broxmox. CephFS. Wow. Yeah, and GlusterFS. But anyways, yeah. they, they do have, and of course, iSCSI, they do have all the, the, the really popular file uh, support for the shared storage on there. Um, of course, the shared ones being NFS cluster, uh, they do support iSCSI shared and ZFS over iSCSI. That's actually interesting. I know they did ZFS over iSCSI. They're well, sometimes. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't, um, hmm, that's interesting. But it, nonetheless, the, the, there is a broad range of file support. So if you're using it in a shared storage environment, um, they have quite a few options on there. Interesting. I didn't know they supported CIFS. Um, have you ever set it up that? No, I haven't as, as of yet. So, um, they, I think that's a good benefit though to talk about. They support a lot of things. I mean, um, probably more than a lot of the other uh, competitors would would support. But it's it's cool to to say, yeah, I want to check out um, Ceph or something else. And oh yeah, they support it. Cool. Then then I have a way to do that. Um, and I'm sure other uh, providers do the same thing. But it's great to have those options to figure out how you want to take it. But one one downside, in my opinion, about Proxmox, be, you know, between XVPNG, I'm not going to spend too much time on this because I think we talked about this exactly. But as a quick aside, I feel like there's more excitement around XVPNG. Like it's, um, there's just more, the, the, the development is accelerated. Now, sometimes that's because it's new and it's not new because Zen Server's been around for a while, but it's like once XCP and she became a thing, it's still kind of young when we talk yeah. about the years that it's been around, but it's been out long enough to where we can trust it. It's like they're 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 still excited about it. They're still um, crazy about the development. They're passionate about it. It's not to say that XCPNG developers aren't passionate about it. I'm sure they are. But I feel like with X with uh, Proc yeah, Procmox, it's like it's more status quo. They come out with new stuff, they support all these things, but they're a lot less likely, in my opinion, to do something like crazy, to say, oh my God, they just changed, the, they overhauled the whole UI or they redid the container engine. I'm sure they might someday, but I would say Proxmox is a good fit for people that have the Debian mentality, leave it alone. <laughs> it, mm. it works, it, it, it's fine, let's not overcomplicate it. Um, I think that's a good thing. Now, the elephant in the room that I probably should talk about is that um, it is free, but I pay for um, Proxmox. I, I pay for the cheapest option. It gives you an extra repository and, and more updates and things. You don't have to use it, though. And you could perfectly fine get away with just not ever paying money. But but it's how they gain. It's, it's how they basically keep afloat because you got to understand how, I mean, it costs money to host this, you know, provide it for download and the developers that work on it. Um, I love supporting projects that um, resonate with me, so I had no problem buying it because I figured, I'm, I mean, I'm using it, and they're working hard on it. So you do get some extra features. I've always, um, I've always paid for it to the point where I've actually forgot what it was like not to. But what I remember is that you will get errors when you do apt update because it's trying to hit repositories that you're not um, authorized to hit. But you still get updates. You just don't get all of them. And there's extra features. So you can look at the uh, feature list on their site. And you can make a determination if you even care to pay for it. But if you find out, like, yeah, this this is everything. It works. Then um, I see. I say, why not? I think um, I can't remember what currency that theirs is in. But I think it converted to, like, 70 US dollars, maybe. Um, I thought it was less than 100. 
Yeah, it's ninety that. euros a year, uh, and CPU socket. Uh, that's how it's. I'm listening. I listen on our site. Mm. So it's kind of. Is it ninety dollars per CPU socket per? Um, I don't know. I've only well, I've had. I've always had two CPU sockets until recently. So I've never had to. I don't remember. Well, maybe I did. That was so long ago. It might be per CPU socket. Come to think about it. So I, I know I had uh, two CPUs back then when I first started. Now I'm down to one because um, my needs aren't as much as they used to be. And also I want to save power because, you know, you got to save energy. You always look into energy costs when you're trying to buy a server. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Just keep in mind about the cost. Um, I mean, they they technically want you to pay for Zen Orchestra, but there, there's a um, one-liner you can run, even though I don't always like one-liners, but you can run and it just sets it up for you. And you don't have to pay to do that. So you could still use either one without paying. It's just there's some quirks if you don't. Uh, as someone pointed out, there's a nag screen if you don't. <laughs> yeah, and I just hate errors. So doing like an apt update on on SSH session, just like, um, oh, God, I hate seeing this error. Because if you do like um, you try to chain commands together, the apt update will fail. It didn't fail. It just can't hit some repositories. You could comment them out if you, if you really want to get rid of it. But yeah. um, it's, it's not hard to bypass at all. I really like it. Um, I guess that's my main downside, though. Um, I mean, other than the cost, is there's just, just more excitement around XCPNG. But I still yeah. love Xbox because it's status quo, it's stable, it, there's no surprises, and it just works. And, you know, a, a lot of people, and not just the ones commenting here for Home Labs, we've seen it used in businesses, just like your, one of your previous employers is yeah. using it. Um, it's, a, it's a completely practical um, solid stable, which is of course one of the things you really want when you're running it on your business production system. So I, I definitely, even though I don't run it, I still, when people always ask me like, do I think it's a good platform? I'm like, absolutely. Just don't ask me a lot of detailed questions about it. Cause I don't use it on the daily. So sometimes I miss things. And, um, we will leave links in the show notes to Jay's full series on Proxbox. Granted, they're older, but the concepts, yep. the base of the system is going to be the same. Yep. Uh, eventually, Jay will get around to doing a new series on Proxbox, and unless I convince him to use XCPNG. But if I don't convince him, he'll do a new series on Proxbox yep. and uh, dive deeper into it. As a few people had mentioned, like the Proxbox backup server, it's a newer feature. It's got some cool features. It's a it's, it sounds like a great system, but it's not something either one of us are extremely well versed on right, with Proxmox. Right. Another thing that I'll mention, it's not Proxmox specific, but I think it, it makes sense. Like if you're if you're going to buy a server, um, and I recommend you do this regardless of what you want to run. Like always run mtest86 on your server before yes. you install anything on it. And I And I mean, I don't care if you buy a used laptop or a desktop. Or a server run mtest86 on it before you actually start using it and i would even argue to run it once a year i can't count how many times i'll get comments like proxmox sucks it doesn't work or my or linux doesn't work on my computer and it, honestly different operating systems handle bad memory differently they'll often still run it's just you'll have these weird quirky side effects that don't really make sense and then you find out your memory's bad the whole time especially on a server, just download the mtest86 or whatever uh, memory tester you have and run it for 15 minutes. Make sure there's no errors on there before. So that way, you know, you're starting out at a very um, a good place without any pr hardware problems, at least as far as memory is concerned. Because the main thing is Proxmox is as stable as the hardware you install it on. 
So if you have like a mostly bad hard drive with like half the sector yeah. bad or bad memory or the or some motherboard issue or co capacitors that are leaking, I've seen all these things. It's not going to run well. Just check the physical layer. Yeah, that it will save you some real fun troubleshooting uh, when you have a quirky system. Let it run for 24 hours prior yeah. to setting it up if you can. And yeah, that definitely um, saves you some of that trouble. <laughs> yeah, it does. So I will, um, another thing that I should mention is that we are not going to be recording next week. So yep. we're taking that particular week off. I am taking the week off actually. Um, and this is a real vacation because anytime I take a vacation, I'm just taking a vacation from a thing, but I'm still doing all the other things. This is actually, I'm going to try to be where cell phone coverage isn't actually much of a thing. Um, just like Tom did recently. So um, that, that's the best thing, right? You just have to be old school and not even have a working cell phone. That's awesome. So yep. content, on AFK. Channel, <laughs> content on my channel will slow down a bit because I always record ahead. So the number of videos will slow down until I pick right back up again, uh, probably first or second week of July. And this particular podcast will take a break next week. And then we'll yep. be back with a topic. I, we don't know what yet, but it's going to be amazing because this show is amazing. Let's be honest. Yep. So <laughs> we're pretty excited about this. We love, we yep. love diving into each of these uh, different services and, you know, it, we, we have like a cloud of things we're just grabbing from going, which one's next, which one's next and trying to put it on there. So plenty but more content I, to come. Yep. But it's not like our, our cloud isn't someone else's computer, though. This is no, our, no, no. This is, our computers. Yeah, this, this is our cloud. Yeah, We're our pulling from cloud. the things we have in our cloud and sharing them with you. Uh, hopefully give you some ideas to get started on there. We will be diving, of course, into some uh, specific and in individual applications as well. That's going to yeah. be, um, I, I know NextCloud's on the list, but we're going to dive deeply into that one. That's that that yeah. The challenge we're going to have with that episode is keeping it to about an hour. Yeah, and, and XCloud changes a lot sometimes every every now yeah. and then we just overhaul a lot, which I've I've noticed like both times, like the last or not both times, the, the last two versions of my book, Mastering Ubuntu Server, I'm pretty sure both times I had to make a massive change. One of the versions of my book, I think it was a second edition, is when the whole own cloud versus next cloud thing happened, which actually that book made it out to the press right <laughs> right before that. Um, that then a new version of next cloud came out, had to redo a chapter. It's fun times, but that's when you, you, you cover tech topics. Um, that's going to be the case. When it comes to Proxmox, I know there's things we missed. We will cover it again at some point. We're going to have episodes like check out the new features of X and let's talk about this new feature. So this is not the last time you'll hear about Proxmox. We'll cover XCPNG again. We'll go back to all these topics at some point as they change and mature. There's going to be some things to talk about. Yep, for sure. And uh, we'll leave all the details in the show notes where you can find the you know series on Proxmox and several videos Shay did on that topic. And thank you. See you yep. guys in two weeks. See you later. <laughs>